Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. And the question I'm putting before you as we start the series, are we a Christian nation? Is our nation founded in Judeo-Christian principles and values? Now, this is, a, this, I, this is a history lesson. I did one of these a couple of years ago when I talked about the influence of Jesus Christ. Very similar. You're going to hear things rapid fire. You're going to be like, wait, what? I want to grab. You're not going to be able to grab everything. I'm, free, I'm giving Joanne the PowerPoint from this. I know this is the kind, you know, this week, next week. I know attendance is usually lighter. But given where we're at as a nation, what we're celebrating this coming week, July 4th, this is the time to do this. If you have any questions about whatever we discuss in the sermon, this is only one sermon. Don't come up afterwards and go, you should have included this. You should have said this. Listen, it's one sermon. I will be discussing a lot in the coming weeks. If you have any questions, comments, things you want to add, please feel free to text me at that number, right? Don't write silly, inane things. If you have a real question that's pertinent to what we talked about, please ask it or email. All right? We good on that? All right. Beautiful. Uh, I wanted to start with just a thought here. If you are deciding to watch a movie, right? You want to rent a movie. You want to watch a movie. You have to kind of figure out what mood you're in, don't you? If you're like, you know, you want to uh, watch a comedy, you want something like slapstick, right? You sit there and you look at the, you know, the titles, you think about the movies that are out there. If you want adventure, what are you going to go see? You're going to want an action movie. If you want to like cuddle up next to that special someone, you're going to watch a romance. By the way, gentlemen, you're only eight months away from watching The Notebook, like me, some of you. Women in here, make sure that happens. I don't want, I want company. I don't want to be the only one next Valentine's Day that is subjected to that movie again. Yeah, I could say that Megan's not here. But you know what? When it comes to like suspense and sitting on the edge of your seat, don't you love those kind of movies that are cliffhangers? You don't know what's going to happen at the end of the movie. How many of you like those kind of movies, right? Something's wrong with you if you don't like those kind of movies, right? And you watch that kind of movie and you don't know what's going to happen. Well, I'm here to tell you this morning, if your address is in the United States of America, you are part of a story that is a cliffhanger. You are part of a story in which we don't know the end yet. The end is not played out. It's not too late. It's not too early. You're right on time. You're here today. We're going to talk about the beginning of the story. But it is a cliffhanger. And there's a lot that's at stake for you and for me. And you know, I love it. The Bible, King David put it this way. He said in Psalm 127, 1, he says, Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. As it goes for the home, so it goes for the country. And you know, did you know this? That the Bible is replete with examples that talk about remembering our former days when you look in the Old Testament, the children of Israel are constantly reminded by God. I put some examples up here and in the New Testament as well. Remember your former days. Remember your history. Remember who you are. Remember whose you are. Don't you forget your foundation as a people and what I've done with you. How important that is. You see it all over scripture. Well, Woodrow Wilson put it this way as it's tethered to this point. He said, a nation which does not remember what it was yesterday does not know what it is today, nor what it is trying to do. We are trying to do a futile thing if we do not know where we came from or what we have been about. Here's a president of the United States saying it's so important that we remember who we are as a people. And here we are. What are we celebrating? It's July 4th. It's our Independence Day. John Adams, second president of the United States. Remember, rapid fire today. Try to stay with me. If you miss something, don't worry about it. You can listen to this again. You can look at the PowerPoint slides. I have a lot of quotes. Just go with it. John Adams put it this way. Talking prophetically, 
He said he only got the, he got the day wrong by two days. The 2nd of July, 1776, will be the most memorable day in the history of America. I believe it will be celebrated by succeeding generations as the great anniversary festival, which shows games, sports, balls, bonfires, and illuminations from one end of the country to the other from this time forward and forevermore. Are you kidding me? The second, if you think that's good, just wait. That's warm-ups, tip of the iceberg. And here we are as a nation. This coming week, we'll see fireworks everywhere, right? Of course, where did I go? I went to the Magic Kingdom, right? Disney, oh, they do everything right. The red, white, and blue, oh, God, please spare us. But right as a nation, right, this week, you'll see the fireworks. You're going to have barbecues and everyone's going to be in a festive celebratory mood. But the problem is many of us don't know the history of our country. We don't know it. And let me tell you what you read in textbooks, what your teachers taught you in elementary school, middle school and high school. Some of it was false. Did I just say that? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I did say that. Some of what you learned in school was not true. But even bigger than that, it's what you didn't learn about the history of your country. It's what they didn't tell us about our founding fathers. If you don't think we're in a war as a nation, you're, you're wow, you're deceived. Really, you're deceived. We are in a great battle right now. Over the, not just the history of our country, but where our country is going. The trajectory of our country. Oh, it is not a time for us to sit back and be passive and just kind of be ho-hum. No, I don't think so. And let's go then. If it is, we're celebrating Independence Day. Can we look at this great document, the Declaration of Independence? Did you know we have celebrated 238 birthdays? This one this year will be our 239th birthday. Why do I bring that up? Because no other country in the history of the world has been under the same piece of paper as long as we have been under this piece of paper. Oh, you want some facts to back it up? You got it. France has had 15 different constitutions in the same time that we've had the Declaration of Independence. Afghanistan in the 20th century alone, they have had uh, five different constitutions. Mexico, Four since 1923. Poland, seven since 1923. Russia has had four since 1917. And look, right now, there are 192, 192 nations at the UN. 18 of them are embroiled in civil wars or revolutions. We are the only country in the history of the world. Facts. You can fact check me all day today if you want. We're the only country in the history of the world to not average a revolution every 40 to 50 years. We're the only one. We stand on solid ground in the United States of America. We do, ladies and gentlemen. Be not mistaken. You're allowed to clap today. You can clap. Not for me, but for your country. So if this is really true and this is extraordinary, you look at the textbooks and you wonder who's responsible for this. And there's a lot of names. You have Washington, you have Jefferson, you have Hancock, you have John Adams. How many of you saw the HBO special John Adams? Or you've read McCullough's wonderful book about him? Fascinating, right? Did you know, but can I give you some, this is like, I wasn't going to give you this, but I think it's, it's pretty interesting. Did you know, right, Hancock, what do we always say in our culture today? Can you put your John Hancock here? So he's the first one to sign this. Did you, does anybody know? I'll give you a prize. I don't know what the prize is, but I have to come up with something good. Who's the second person to sign it? Who's the second person? No, 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 no. You can, nobody, fam- Josiah Bartlett. I feel bad for Josiah because everybody's like, put your John Hancock here. Nobody says, put your Josiah Bartlett here. Could have been that way if Josiah was the first one to sign it. Feel bad for the dude. He gets no love. Just gave him a little bit of love. John Adams was asked in 1816, 40 years after the American Revolution, second president of the United States, he was asked, who is responsible? A new generation is coming along, right? A new generation is coming along. And people wanted to know who is responsible for the American Revolution. Who? Who is it, Mr. Adams? We want to know. An amazing statesman and diplomat. An amazing politician. And do you know what Mr. Adams said to these individuals? He said, if you want to know who's responsible for American independence, you need to start with some of the preachers. Preachers, 
Not Thomas Jefferson. You know, and let me throw this out there right now. If you're in this room and you know history, I am not saying today that all of your founding fathers were Orthodox Christians. No, they weren't. Let me say it again. They weren't. Thomas Jefferson, yeah, he was influenced by deism. Deism, you, don't, you deny the divinity of Christ. Benjamin Franklin, same thing. If people you leave here or you hear somewhere that all of your founding fathers were Christians, they weren't. But we as a country, we worship and we look at the exception rather than the rule. We take the people that aren't the least religious of the founding fathers and we throw them out there and say, these are, these are the ones that are the most prominent. And I'm here this morning to give you, debunk some of the history that you may have learned and you haven't learned about those that were very formative in the history of this country. Can I give you a couple of names? Here you go, ready? How about this one? So when Adams was asked, who's responsible, right? How many of you have ever heard this name before? Dr. Samuel Cooper. I don't think anyone's heard of his name. He was a preacher, very influential. How about Jonathan Mayhew? Nah, I don't think anybody's ever heard of this preacher either from the first great awakening. How about George Whitfield? Probably the only one that you've heard. He gave such stirring sermons, even Benjamin Franklin, the deist, was so moved by him. He wanted to go, where's Whitfield speaking? I would love, he actually had an amphitheater built just for him. He was so moved by his sermons. Really? How about this one? And if you notice here, Richard Allen. Richard Allen was a black minister during the first great awakening. How come we don't talk about these people? How come you've only heard the name George Whitfield? And some of you don't even know who that is, and that's fine. But how come we as a nation have only focused on those people? Did you know there were a ton of black ministers that picked up guns and fought alongside whites in the, in the revolution? How about this guy right here? Harry Hoosier, a black minister, an evangelist. You want to know how influential? Look at his name, Harry Hoosier. Does anybody notice in anything interesting about his last name? Did you know Indiana is the Hoosier state because of Harry Hoosier? Did you also know that kids are not taught this in school? He was an evangelist and would preach in these open air, t these, these meetings, and he would bring the gospel. And there were scores of people in that area that became Christ followers. And they said, oh, you're one of those Hoosiers. You're a follower of Harry Hoosier. We think Hoosiers, you hear basketball, right? I think of the movie, whatever. I don't think of some guy that lived a couple of hundred years ago, but that's the reason why Indiana is called the Hoosier State. When you see an Indiana license plate, you now go back to that. When you hear this word, you go back in your mind to a Christian man that saw scores of people come to know God. Oh, this is the founding of our country. Harry Hoosier. You want other black people that were influential during this time? Try to keep it together, but it's hard when you're so passionate about this. I love this stuff. How about some more, right? Let's look at this guy. If you can see this well, this man's name is Prince Estabrook. He fought in the Battle of Lexington and Concord in 1775, right? At the outset of the American Revolution. No, I guarantee you, none of you have ever been taught about this man. He is the first black and the first slave. He is a hero in the Battle of Lexington, and his name is never mentioned in schools. He's a hero. How about this guy? How about Peter Salem? Peter Salem is another hero. Peter Salem was a hero. He, oh, this is, it, it boggles my mind when I think about this. He's the hero of Bunker Hill. He received 14 commendations, saved scores of lives. Monuments are erected to, erected to him. Congress gave him special awards. But we've never, ever heard of him. How is that possible? As a Christian, a Christian man, how come this part of history has been forgotten? How come this part of history has never been taught? But all the founding fathers were atheists, they were agnostics, they were deists, right? How about this? Go back to the Declaration of Independence again. When you look at this, now... John Adams, when he was asked that, and he talks about what he saw, and he said, the preachers are responsible for independence. He also talked about the fact that you look at all of the grievances. There are 27 grievances that are listed in the D of I. I don't have time to go into all of this, but did you know, scholars, commentators, I've read a lot on this. Did you, you'll be, you'd be amazed at how much Bible was influential in the coming up of all of these grievances that are listed here. Now, I know what you were taught in school, 
that the reason why we broke away from England, remember I told you, this is a history lesson, stay with me, that we broke away because of no taxation without representation. How many of you remember that rallying cry, right? You remember that in school, right? One of the things that's probably in your, fresh in your mind. Yes, that is number 17 on the list. That is the 17th grievance that was listed. I just said to you, there were 27. It didn't even make the top half. So you're technically not totally wrong. Is that, yeah, obviously that's a huge component, but there were other things that took place. And one historian put it this way. He said, every single one of these uh, grievances that was listed here and rights that, that, that you really see, the rights that are here that are imbued in this document were preached from American pulpits before 1767, 20 years before our independence, July 4th. You have preachers that are saying these things. And here you go, these statesmen, founding fathers, took what American preachers preached from pulpits around America and they put it into founding documents, the Declaration of Independence in 1776 and the U.S. Constitution in 1787. That's a fact. It's a fact. And then when you take it even take it even further, how about the first 46 words of the Declaration of Independence sets forth the philosophy of government? Now, I want to prove my point to you. I'm a student of history. I'm not an expert, but I'm a student of history. I want to do my due diligence. How about this? You all know these words, right? Well, I'm going backwards, actually. The Reverend John Wise, I want you to read his words where Thomas Jefferson gets his, you know, it might be helpful if I do this first. You know these words. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We all know that. You've heard that a million times. But you probably never heard these words from the Reverend John Wise, the first human subject. An original of civil power is the people. And when they are free, they may set up what species of government they please. The end of all good government is to cultivate humanity and promote the happiness of all and the good of every man in all his rights, his life, liberty, estate, honor, etc., without injury or abuse done to any. Guess what? Thomas Jefferson took this from a sermon. He took that. The Declaration of Independence. And there are other pieces. When he talks about a creator, this guy John Wise, he is taking pieces. How come we never hear of that in schools? How come nobody ever says that on TV? Yes, the preachers from the 1700s, they were very influential. John Adams knew exactly what he was talking about. There are so many examples of this. Did you know even in the Constitution, here's another fact for you. In the Constitution, did you know in the Bill of Rights, the First Amendment, there are over 30 Bible verses that helped form what you know about the First Amendment, freedom of speech, religion, and so on? Come on! But our country was founded by all atheists, agnostics, deists, universalists. Ah, that's what, the, that's, what, that's what our culture is going to tell us. That's what they're going to say is true. Next, five years after the writing of the Declaration of Independence, there is what we know as the Battle of Yorktown. The Battle of Yorktown ended what? It ended the American Revolution. So five years later, the Battle of Yorktown is over. Just stay with this. This is really cool. When the battle was over, it was interesting because during our oppression, being under British oppression, excuse me, and British rule, one of the important laws was that if you lived in America, you were not free to print a Bible in the English language. You were not free until this point at the end of the American Revolution, Yorktown. You with me? So it wasn't until that point. So if the king, if you had an Anglican king, You had an Anglican Bible. That was fine. Catholic king, Catholic Bible, and so you were not allowed under any circumstances to print an English Bible. It is two months after the American Revolution is over. The Battle of Yorktown is now over. Now, they printed Bibles in all different other languages, but you were not allowed. It's Spanish, French, Greek, uh, Russian, I mean, tons, Native American languages, but you couldn't do it in English. Well, this is interesting. Within two months of that battle, Now, being out from under British law, there was a proposal to print America's first English language Bible. And history tells us that in the year 1782, that Bible was printed. It is one of the rarest books in the world. There are only 29 left. There were only 10,000 copies that were ever made. And you want to hear the words? This This is the wording. Listen to this. This is what Congress said. They said the Bible was a neat addition to the Holy Scriptures for the use of our schools. Did you just hear that? Let me say it again. 
The Bible was a great addition to the Holy Scriptures for the use of our schools. Wait, I thought they didn't want the Bible in school. I thought in 1963 it was taken out. How many of you are familiar with this case? 1963, Abington School District versus Shemp. The Bible was taken out of school. So for over 200 years, the Bible was allowed in school. You come back next week. I'm giving you the foundation this week. Next week, I'm going to talk about the cracks in the foundation. I'm going to bring it forward. And I'm going to tell you stories, things that are happening that you may not be aware of. And the week after that, Pastor Linda doesn't know it yet. But we're going to set up something cool. And we're going to have some dialogue here in this place about what we've talked about for the two weeks. You on board with that? You are now. Are you, are, you, are you with me? Are you enjoying this? Even if you're not, just, just feign interest, okay? Did you know? And this is wild too. I mean, this, I, I'm just full of facts. I'm just throwing them out there. Again, so much research and so much time. But I love this. 106 of the first 108 schools and universities, colleges and universities, were founded by Christians. But we're, uh, what? I thought our country was founded by deists and agnostics and atheists, 106 of the first 108. I shared this a couple years ago, and it bears repeating. Harvard and Yale were started as schools to train people in Christianity, train people as missionaries, and train people in understanding the Bible. Oh my gosh, 2015, my valedictorian is going to Harvard. We're talking about it. I'm like, Harvard is not the same place in 2015 as it was in the 1600s when it was created. What has happened? We've lost our moorings. How far? And then if you go to any university, you take a political science class. My brother could talk about this better than I can. And you, Eric, you have a law degree. I don't have my juris doctorate. Don't want to have a juris doctorate. But uh, you both are lawyers, so you know this. And I found this interesting in reading. Um, there is a book that is very, I guess, very popular amongst you know, universities and law schools. It's called The Godless Constitution. And this is a book that is used, the secular left, which I have to just call it like it is, this is what they propagate. This is what students read. And they talk about how the 200 plus years of history in America, wh- why we're such a great country? It's because we, we're, we have a secular past and we're a secular people today. That's what they're propagating. But you know what really bothers me about a book like this? Let me just show you this about some of the really bad history. And I'm going to refer to this again later on. This is, this is in the book. I'm not made, this is in the book, all right? Two PhDs from Cornell University. When Benjamin Franklin, who presided over the Constitutional Convention. What? Who presided over the Constitutional Convention? George Washington. Are you kidding me? You can't get simple facts right. Wait till I show you later on a quote at the end of the book about their scholarly research as sloppy as you could possibly get. A book that is out there, and you say, I never heard of this book before, but it's a book that's out there. It's a book that people know. It's a book that people are absolutely reading. Now, can I go to the Founding Fathers? Look at this picture. How many of you have seen this picture before? A very famous picture. Now, who do we notice in this picture? It's wild. Who do we notice here? Everybody notices in the front. You see in the front, everybody notices Jefferson and everybody notices Franklin. And you may get a couple of other names in there. You may know, you may know who they are. There are 56 people that are there. You with me? 56 people that are there. Again, we, we study and we talk about the exception, not the rule. We talk about Franklin being a deist. We talk about Jefferson being a deist. We don't know the stories of the other 54 people that were in that room that also signed the Declaration of Independence and were Christians, many of them. Did you know? How about this? One of my favorite facts for the sermon. 29 of the 56 people Founding fathers that signed the Declaration of Independence had seminary degrees and went to Bible school. That is more than half of the founding fathers were Orthodox Christians. Go do the research. You go look it up. And you tell, but again, we're an agnostic, uh, atheist, uh, universal. That's who we are as a people. That's our founding. Those are our roots. No, I don't think so. Now, when you look here, can I talk about some of these founding fathers? Can I talk about some of them? And you look at here, the, the Constitution, too. There were 55 of them. But I wanted to talk about some of them in a little detail. And I have a, I have a lot of them, but I think you'll enjoy this. Can I give you the first one here? John Witherspoon. John Witherspoon was 
a president of Princeton University. And what you can't really see the picture that well, that is a monument that is currently on Princeton University campus. Today, you go to Princeton and you see this monument that is erected to one John Witherspoon, who was a preacher and published over a dozen volumes of his sermons. He was a staunch abolitionist. He also is the one who created the family Bible so families in colonial America can sit around and read God's word together. What do you think he would think if he walked on Princeton University campus in 2015? What do you think Witherspoon would think? I think he'd be amazed. But he's somebody who signed the the Declaration of Independence. He is a staunch abolitionist from Jersey. And guess what he also did? Did you know he was on Princeton campus? I love this. He was teaching blacks. He was educating blacks. Even though Britain said you were forbidden from doing so. You gotta love people like this. This is your history. This is our country. This is how we were formed. How about the next one? How about Francis Hopkins? Show you the picture there. Francis Hopkins, in 1768, he and Benjamin Franklin started a school for black students against British rule. They taught them Christianity and academics. Yes, you may say, I thought you said before, Franklin was a deist. He was, but he still had respect. He still believed that there was a God. He still had respect for Christianity. But here they were in a time, and they kept trying in the 1760s and the 1770s, they kept trying to get... Uh, abolitionist laws passed and put through the legislature time and time again king george the third knocked them down vetoed them wouldn't let any of them pass now this is the way it is in colonial america how about john and sam adams right john and sam adams staunch abolitionists from massachusetts and you look up there you see john adams we said second president of the united states We always hear, though, that many of the founding fathers were racists and bigots. Did you know in colonial America, here's another fact that'll boggle your mind. Did you know that only 2% of people in the South actually owned slaves? Aristocracy? If I I posed that question to you, you probably would have said, I don't know, 30, 40, 50% of the people during this time period would have had slaves. Not true. And here is Sam Adams. Can I give you a quote from the father of the American Revolution? who would later on become the governor of Massachusetts. These are his words. These are not my words. Look at what he said here in his last will and testament. Last will and testament. Principally, and first of all, I resign my soul to the almighty being who gave it, and my body I commit to the dust, relying on the merits of Jesus Christ for the pardon of my sins. And in case I'm mistaken, that sounds kind of Christian. But all the founding fathers were agnostics and atheists. Can I give you my favorite one? Oh, here's my favorite guy. Out of, out of all of the founding fathers, somebody you've never heard before. And let me tell you what I'm going to do with my, my kids, my boys. When they have assignments in the school. Yeah, I want you to, and the, the assignment is pick a founding father. You're not picking Hamilton and you're not picking Jefferson. You're not picking Franklin. You're going to pick somebody like Dr. Benjamin Rush. You're going to pick this kind of guy. You're going to pick maybe Harry Hoosier. You're going to pick somebody your teacher probably doesn't know about. And you are going to go educate the other kids in your class about the history of your country. John Adams. John Adams said this. He is the father of American medicine. Dr. Benjamin Rush. Father of American medicine. When he died in 1813, John Adams said this. He said he was one of the top three, the big three founding fathers. Are you kidding me? He said it was Washington, it was Franklin, and Dr. Benjamin Rush. What? Did you know he is the man that penned the Constitution for America's first Bible society? Let me read you this. Why would he start a Bible society? He says in his words, he wanted to get Americans to read the Bible because two things would happen. Two things. First, they will come to Christ and become Christians. His words. Secondly, if we can get people to obey it when they read it, we can help solve our social problems, reduce crime, abolish slavery. You should clap for that. You kidding me? Real history. Father of American medicine. You know what he's also the father of? Sunday school. Sunday school was started. So the next time, or if you had a pleasant experience in Sunday school. I had some unpleasant experiences in Sunday school, which I've told you about in the past, being at that building down the road, which I'm still upset about, but I have to let it go because it's not really part of the sermon. But if you enjoyed Sunday school at some point in your life, 
I want you to go back and thank Benjamin Rush, a name that you never heard before, but one of the founding fathers, the father of American medicine in our country. Again, go ahead, fact check me. I don't really care, please. He started five universities. Three are still around today. And how about slavery? He alone, again, Benjamin Franklin, he and Benjamin Franklin founded the first abolitionist society in America in 1774. Can I give you his quote about Jesus? Maybe you tell me, is this guy a deist, an agnostic, an atheist after reading this quote? Here you go. My only hope of salvation is in the infinite transcendent love of God manifested to the world by the death of his son upon the cross. Nothing but his blood will wash away my sins. I rely exclusively upon it. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. This is your history. How about Francis Hopkinson? Oh, I could, I could go on all day about all of them. I know you don't have time. You don't want me to, but I could. Helped design the first American flag, but here's the part that I love about him. He was also a church music and choir director. He created America's first purely hymn book in 1767. And he took the entire book of Psalms and set them to music so we could sing the Psalms like David did thousands of years ago. A signer of the Declaration of Independence and somebody we never hear about, Francis Hopkinson. Real, living people. How about John Hancock? You've all heard we talked, I mentioned his name before, became governor of Massachusetts and called his state, get this saints, he called his state to days of prayer on 22 different occasions. On 11 of those days, he called the state to fasting and prayer and shut down every business in the state. Are you kidding me? What would happen in New York State if Governor Cuomo got on, instead of talking about the escape of these prisoners, what if he got on and said, hey, listen, it's time for us as a nation to have some time of prayer and fasting for what's going on in our culture. You're not going to see it right now, but can you imagine if that really happened? Because that's what our founding fathers thought would happen 200 plus years down the road. Chew on that for a little while. On the bottom of every prayer request, he had written, look at this. Let's have people pray and fast that if anyone doesn't know Christ in this state, they will come to know Christ. What? How about Thomas McKeon, chief justice of the Pennsylvania Supreme Court? He wrote the first commentary on the United States Constitution. You go to any major library today and you will find all of his decisions. And how about this? In his court, when a jury sentenced somebody to death, you know what he did? He would stop the proceedings. He would stop everything. And he would look at that individual and he would say, it behooves you, given the fact that you only have a couple of days to live, to come to know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, stopped everything and had an altar call. This happened in American history. This happened in the state of Pennsylvania. Can you imagine if that happened in our courts today? This is one of your founding fathers that you never heard about. You think I'm on a mission today? Back to the Godless Constitution. That book that I mentioned before, this is what they wrote at the end of the book. Just so you know what kind of scholars are out there and what we see everywhere. If you Google, just go Google, are we a Christian nation? Some of the stuff that you see out there from the secular left, it's, a lot of it's just not true. It's false information. They wrote, because we have intended the book to reach a general audience and because the material we have cited is for the most part familiar to historians and political scientists, we have dispensed with the usual scholarly apparatus of footnotes. Oh, that's nice. How convenient is that? How convenient is that? Can I give you my favorite part of the sermon now that I've waited a while to preach? If you go to the records of Congress, everything is recorded. Every single meeting is recorded there. And I want to bring up a date, September 5th, 1774, following the Boston Tea Party. How many of you remember the Boston Tea Party? I promise I'm almost done. You stayed with me. You've been a great audience. The Boston Tea Party and then the Intolerable Acts. Following that, British troops are now descending on the colonies. They decide on September 5th, 1774, they set up what became known as the First Continental Congress. How many of you have heard of that before? And there, we have the First Continental Congress, and you have all these, what we now know as the Founding Fathers, they will gather together. At that point right there, they called on a man, this is another part of American history, it's never told, the man's name, he was a preacher from Christ Church in Philadelphia, his name is Jacob Duchesne. 
they called on this preacher from Christ Church and they said, will you please come in and pray with us? He comes in on September 5th, 1774, and they say on September 6th, 1774, the next day, we are going to start everything. We're going we're to start everything with prayer, a time of prayer. Now, why would I bring this up? On September 6th, 1774, they opened it up with prayer, but this was not a little dinky prayer. They prayed for two hours. Two hours. The first time the Continental Congress meets, they pray for two hours. One of the men that was there said the prayer was so moving, he would have rode on horseback a hundred miles just to hear it. John Adams writing to his wife, Abigail. And by the way, you may say, what about some of the women? Yeah, yeah, I'll get there. Don't worry. I didn't, I'm not, I didn't forget about them. Because there are women in American history, colonial America, that were influential. The things that they did, you need to hear about their story as well. You will. But he wrote this to his wife, Abigail. Here's part of the letter. This is the, the picture there very, in 1848, H.H. H., uh, Madison. This is a famous painting that he uh, made of that event from 1774. Isn't it stunning, right? This, this really happened. Friends, this, this is not fabricated. This is real history. This really happened. You had founding fathers that were there for two hours. And this is what he said to Abigail. He writes this letter, John Adams. I never saw a greater effect upon an audience. Are you kidding me? It seemed as if heaven had ordained that psalm to be read. They read he read Psalm 35. He read Psalm 35 and ordained that psalm to be read on the morning. I must beg you to read that psalm. He's telling his wife, you need to read it. Read it to your friends. Read it to your father. Read it to everyone. You know what? You can't get Christians to pray for two hours. But I guess agnostics, atheists, right, universalists, they'll sit in a room and not even in a church. It's in Carpenter's Hall. It's where the Congress is meeting. But you can get them to pray? Please. Christian men gathered and prayed for the nation. Wow. He went on to say this. I, I, I promise. I'm, I'm really almost there. We have appointed a continental fast. Millions will be on their knees at once before their great creator, imploring his forgiveness and blessing, his smiles on American councils and arms. He said went on that three million people, that was the population of the country, that three million people would actually be on their knees and praying. I ask you, can you imagine if millions of people got on their knees and prayed to Almighty God for this country? Yeah, that's a challenge. You may think that's crazy. Maybe it's not so crazy. These men were crazy. These men were revolutionaries. They didn't accept the status quo. They knew, and I'm going to talk next week about providence because I'm going to give you events and say that we won the American Revolution. You have the greatest army on the planet, the greatest navy. The fact that we won providence, time, George Washington talked about it time and time again. George Washington was an Episcopalian. I'm sorry, you can't say he's a Unitarian when you, when you look at all the things that he said, and I'll give you some more of that next week. In, 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 two more things. In uh, 1848, this was a book that was used, uh, Lives of the Signers. This was a book that every single kid had to read in school in the 1800s. You know what this book was about? It had five to six pages of every single founding father, every one. It also talked about their family. It talked about their wives. It talked about their kids. How come we don't do any of this in school anymore? How come we've forgotten about our history? How come we've forgotten about all this stuff? We would think, people would think it's silly to have a book like this used in school. But this is, again, this is our history. This is who we are. And I close with, not a Christian, but I close with two quotes from Daniel Lappin, who is a rabbi, voted by Time magazine as one of the 20 most influential rabbis in the United States. This will blow your socks off. Ready for this? This is what he said. I understand that I live in a Christian nation, albeit one where I can follow my faith as long as it doesn't conflict with the nation's principles. The same option is open to all Americans and will be available only as long as this nation's Christian roots are acknowledged and honored. Did I say he's a Jewish rabbi? Without a vibrant and vital Christianity, America is doomed, and without America, the West is doomed. 
Which is why I, an Orthodox Jewish rabbi, devoted to Jewish survival, the Torah, and Israel, am so terrified of American Christianity caving in. God help Jews if America ever becomes a post-Christian society. Just think of Europe. Here is a Jewish rabbi calling America out. You've forgotten who you are. Get back to your roots. This is not a time, this is not a time, I don't even know how I'm supposed to do the table. This is not a time to play around. This is not a time to mess around. I have given you fact upon fact. I have given you the real history of your country. There is a war that is taking place. And slowly but surely, things have eroded over the course of 200, almost 40 years of American history. It's time for us to take our rightful place in the game. It's time to stand up as Christians. Time. This is the hour. This is the hour. This is your country. I'm a nobody, I'm a little nobody preacher in a little church, but to get this message out so the people would hear our true Christian heritage. Pastor Linda just said, maybe we come to the table with what we saw in South Carolina. I don't know how many, you know, you may look at this message too and go, oh, this, you're so political today. I'm really not trying to be political. I'm, I'm really just, try, again, I just tried to give you a history lesson. We don't, as pastors, we don't believe, we never tell you who to vote for. You vote your conscience. All I can do, even next week, all I can do is present you the facts about the United States of America, its position, its history, and what its future looks like, and how we can be a part of that. But I don't know how any of us were not moved by the attitude of those individuals in South Carolina, who instead of choosing to hate, and choosing to lash back, to lash out, chose to love. Love wins. Love overcomes. That's what this table is, isn't it? It's love overcomes. Everything, anything that happens in this world. Here is this kid that went out and he commits this heinous crime and he thinks that he's going to start a race war. Well, he started a different kind of war and there are other Christians from around the country and around the world that are galvanizing and they're coming together and they're saying, you know what? No more. And you know what? Take that flag down, by the way. As a history teacher, take that flag down. Take down the monuments. Robert E. Lee, I'm sorry. I, I should stop. I should stop. But listen. There's so many things in Southern history. Yeah, I'm a Northerner. I'm a Yankee, right? But there's so many things in Southern history and what they represent. When you look at the Civil War, when you look at our history, it's time for the flag to come down. It's time for the truth to come out. And as bad as that was, listen, what does Romans 8 tell us? In the totality of life, in the, at the end of things, we may not understand things here, but everything happens for a reason. There is a purpose. Those who love God and are called according to his purpose, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that in the totality of things, God makes things work out for our good. Let me end on that. I'm just going to end on that. Ushers, please come forward. I'm just going to pray. Lord, Lord, I thank you. Lord, I thank you what you've done for your servant. You've just, you strengthened my faith. I don't know about everybody else, but me as the one that preached the message, the one that studied. Lord, I thank you for the honor to stand in this little pulpit. I'm a little nobody, but Lord, I love you. I wanted this message to get out. Father, may this message go forth, not just my message, this message, the true message of the founding of this nation. It wasn't perfect. Not everyone was a Christian, but Lord, so many were, and so many have been forgotten. Bring us back to truth, love, and grace. You know, somebody uh, asked me last week. They said, I don't want to, somebody in here, after my sermon last week, and they said, do you look at this country, do you look at this world sometimes and go, why aren't more people drawn to God? Or why aren't more people alive to this? Yes, again, we're getting close to the end. I don't care what you think, what you say. Things are moving at a rapid pace. It will happen. There will be a day 
every tongue confesses, every knee will bow, there will come a day where another great awakening will happen in this country. I'm not talking, listen, it will happen. There was a first, there was a second. Oh, maybe the third time's gonna be a charm. And that's where we're gonna see things ushered in like we've never seen before. Do you believe that? It doesn't look that way. But it's gonna happen, right? Like the Terminator, right? He's back, right? It's coming back. But he's coming back. We say, God bless America. He has blessed us. And his hand, will be continue to be, his hand will continue to be removed if we don't be a people that get on our knees and pray. This is beyond moving. We agree? It's beyond moving. I'm standing here and I'm thinking quickly how much this provoked me today feel provoked? Do you feel like something inside of you was saying, no, I gotta take a stand? You know, in the hour we're living in. I remember in the early years of my career, just quickly, of what you're talking about in such a minute little piece, putting a Bible on my desk and putting different situations of saying, no, those those books, get them out of here. And little things. And we're you know, I used, to, I used to come and talk and, and say, why are those books in here? Series of, of man, myth, and magic and just different things that I recall. And, you know, it's time. If I get this out right, it's time for us in every little way that we represent of life before God to say, that's enough. That's enough. And there's nothing wrong with it. We don't have to be obnoxious. We just have to take our position and believe God. And yet, all of these people did. There was a course. It's the Tiffany Iceberg. And maybe you will. But there's a course. And we're counting the course today. Yeah, for sure. Talking to a people this week, in light of the war we heard about this morning, we're Christians in this room, and uh, and we're a church that believes in the Word of God as our authority. And the Word tells us there's a battle, and it's not flesh and blood; it is not people. And even as as James, as I mentioned to James at the table, how do you go from that to the table? I've never been more proud of being a Christian than I was watching our brothers and sisters in South Carolina respond to evil the way they did. Did you feel that way? I felt so proud of them. So proud of the way they handled it. They showed Christ to this world. And you know, in light of, of what we're, all of us, you know, I'm sure there's opinions in this room about things that have been going on in our country. But I thought about it and I thought, so what's the lesson for you and me? But you know what? The lesson first isn't about all those people out there that don't know Christ. And the lesson isn't really about, you know, the whole church. I thought about it, but the real lesson for me, and maybe you'll embrace this as well, where do I stand? Where do I stand? How can, where, is Christianity something that's just added on to my life? Or if I was in a little, if I was in the Middle East right now and, Syria, and if I had a if I had a knife looking ready to stab me, and where would I stand if they said, "Will you renounce Jesus Christ and 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 live?" And I thought, you know what? It isn't about everybody out there, and it's not about the world out there. It's really about us, James. It's about do we believe that the Word of God is our authority? Do we believe? Where in my life? Where in your life have you decided? that you can have an opinion and you can decide in light of what you decide is true rather than what these men that I heard about this morning, I don't know about you, but I never heard half this stuff. Who in here is, do you, are you with me? I never heard half this stuff before. A quarter of this stuff before. I, I, that's awful. That's awful. But these people really believed in the word of God. Our, our country, our Judah, the Ten Commandments, the basis of our country. 
And when you take that Ten Commandments away, we're in big trouble, aren't we? Look around. We're in big trouble. We're in big trouble. I say this just as we walk out, not to keep you any longer. Um, I, I think you were as mesmerized as I was this morning because the Holy Spirit was clearly in this room. He's arming us for the battle. And it starts with, please, please, look at yourself in the mirror today as I, I want to. And you ask yourself the question, where do you stand with the Word of God? Where do you stand as a Christian? Where is your life in relation to a committed follower of Jesus Christ. Father, we just, we are, we're kind of speechless because beyond the speaker and, and, Lord, beyond the facts, we were moved by your spirit here this morning. And so many of us are turning on our television sets and reading our newspapers and we're confused. And, Lord, for some of us, it, we're just tired of being called bigots because we believe your word and we believe the authority of your word. So, Father, but we thank you that this is an hour where we do have to look at ourselves in the mirror. And, Father, I just pray for each and every heart and soul in this room that cries out for mercy the way I, just as I am this morning. And I want to join with all those that want to join with me this morning. I want to cry out for mercy, Lord, that I would be found a, a true follower of you in these days ahead that you'd give a new boldness. I'm not talking about, Father, Father, we don't want those kind of crazy people that turn everybody off and, and are, have an ego problem. We're saying we want to be real, true, bold servants that are not going to cower and not going to apologize because, we because we're Christians. We're not going to apologize because we believe your word is true. Give us that kind of faith, Lord. Give us that kind of strength at this hour. Strengthen this house. Strengthen this community. Strengthen your people all through America today, Lord. That we would truly be, really be, Lord, really be. Have a little bit of courage like the men we just saw and heard talked about this morning. Give us that kind of faith. At this part of the battle, we're, we're in the story's not over. We heard in the beginning that the, this is a cliffhanger. We don't know how this is going to end. But, Father, we want to be those that have stood the test and have fought the good fight and have finished the race in this place. Give us that faith to do it in, in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Before you go, you might want to wish Pastor James a happy 42nd birthday. Today is his birthday. Amen. Have a great day. Have a great day, guys. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.